This podcast is all about the Living Will Declaration concerning life-sustaining procedures. Welcome everybody, I'm Paul Rambley. I'm an estate planning attorney. Work primarily out of South Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Metairie, Mandeville, Lafayette. And this is an issue that we talk about with every single client we have. Sure, most people, when they engage in estate planning, it's all about what happens you know, when they pass away to their stuff, avoiding taxes, avoiding family conflict, avoiding government interference. But everybody has feelings one way or another about what they'd want to happen if they get to that point where they're in that profound comatose state, there's no chance of recovery, and the machines are, are serving only to artificially prolong the dying process. So what I want to go is, is go through some of the provisions in our living will law that we have in Louisiana. I suspect that the Louisiana law is similar to other states' laws, but if you're in a state other than Louisiana, it's important that you check with someone in your state who's familiar with these rules and, and can guide you through it. So I'll start just with some basics. I mean, every, every, everyone has that fundamental right to control their decisions regarding their own med- medical care, and that includes the decision to have life-sustaining procedures withheld or withdrawn in instances where um, you're diagnosed as having a terminal and irreversible condition. So obviously, when people get to that condition, they're not in a, they don't have the capacity to make that decision. Hence, they allow you to make that decision ahead of time if you follow all of the living will, living will rules accordingly. So let me go through just a couple of things about living wills, and then I'm going to go through a sample provision in living wills, and then we'll take a look at that. So first of all, just some of the formalities. Um, there's provisions for written living wills, and there's also some provisions for an oral living will or, or uh, non, you know, nonverbal communication. Those, those are rare, but let's start with the written declaration, which is what most people do. So you can have a written living will, and uh, you know, it's usually maybe a page or two long, maybe just one page, and you have to sign it in the presence of two witnesses. You know, those witnesses ought to be adults. They shouldn't be anyone who would inherit from you or any close family member. Um, so it should be two, you know, uh, non-family member witnesses. Now, I mentioned earlier there can be an oral or a nonverbal declaration is, is the formal word for living will, but that can only be made by an adult in the presence of two witnesses. Um, and it can only be made at a time subsequent to the diagnosis of a terminal and irreversible condition. So again, I'm going to stick with the written declaration for purposes of this podcast. So what I want to do is I want to, and and there's lots of formalities as to if someone makes a, you know, nonverbal declaration, you know, what, who has to document what and what the physicians have to do. So what I want to do next is I want to go through the Um, actual provisions of the typical or the default, uh, I'm going to call it a living will. Louisiana law calls it a declaration. And we're going to take a look at that so you'll have a a good understanding. And towards the end, we'll talk about who should and who shouldn't sign a living will. So I'm I'm not going to go over every single word of the sample uh, living will, but 
um, I'll go through the the meat of it. And so the meat of it and and the paragraph or two that is most important, and since we're on a podcast and you can replay this and I want to make sure we get it right, I'll actually state the provisions of Louisiana's um, kind of form or default form of a living will. And, and a lot of people, lawyers, estate lawyers, tend to just follow that form because it's recognized. There's not going to be ambiguity. The hospital people are familiar with it. So that form says, um, if at any time I should have an incurable injury, disease, or illness, or be in a continual profound comatose state with no reasonable chance of recovery, certified to be a terminal and irreversible condition by two physicians who have personally examined me, one of whom shall be my attending physician, and the physicians have determined that my death will occur whether or not life-sustaining procedures are utilized and where the application of life-sustaining procedure would serve only to prolong artificially the dying process, I direct, and then you've got to initial one, and there's, there's two options. So I'll go through what, what those options are, and you know, some people pick the first one, some people pick the second one, but you gotta pick one. So you say under all those circumstances that I just went over, it says I direct, and it's one of these two, that all life-sustaining procedures, including nutrition and hydration, be withheld or withdrawn so that food and water will not be administered invasively, or you pick the other one, that life-sustaining procedures except nutrition and hydration be withheld or withdrawn so that food and water can be administered invasively. Um, So what all that means is, uh, and I'm just being... Uh, really overly simplistic. When you're in that state with no chance of recovery, machines just serving to prolong the dying process, you say, take me off the machines. And then the elections are, take me off of all the machines, including nutrition and hydration. Some people call that food and water. Some people call that feeding tubes and IVs. So option one, take me off of the machines except for food and water, or take me off I'm sorry, the first one is take me off of the machines, including food and water. The second was take me off the machines, except for food and water. So, you know, different people have different thoughts about what they'd want. And, you know, there is another provision that talks about pain medication. People sometimes ask about that because the next statement in the default living will says, I further direct that I be permitted to die naturally with only the administration of medication or the performance of any medical procedure deemed necessary to provide me with comfort care. Okay, and then and then it goes on to say that you know it's your intention that you um, that you know this declaration be honored by family and physicians as the final expression of my legal right to refuse medical or surgical surgical treatment and accept the consequences from such refusal. And then you sign it, witnessed by two people. All right, so I want to take a look at just a couple of the the definitions uh, of a couple of those terms used. And I'm gonna go back to that main paragraph that says, um, you know, certified to be a terminal and irreversible condition by two physicians who have personally examined me, one of whom shall be my attending physician. So, you know, the law provides some some definitions of, uh, of some of those provisions. So. There's a definition for attending physician, you know, two physicians, one of whom shall be the attending physician. 
Well, our Louisiana law defines attending physician. It's, it means the physician who has primary responsibility for the treatment and care of the patient. Fair enough. And then there's another mm, definition worth mentioning. Um, it's life-sustaining procedure. So this, the definition of life-sustaining procedure means any medical procedure or intervention which within reasonable medical judgment would serve only to prolong the dying process for a person diagnosed as having a terminal and irreversible condition, including such procedures as the invasive administration of nutrition and hydration and the administration of cardiopulmonary resuscitation. A life-sustaining pr procedure shall not include any measure deemed necessary to provide comfort care. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, a couple of the definitions. There's some more definitions, but but uh, I wanted to just give you what I thought was the highlights. Um, all right. Let's see if there's another definition that I want to go over with you. Um, yes, there is. One more. It's terminal and irreversible condition. So some people say, well, well, Paul, you know, if, if I go in and, you know, I'm not doing too well, but I have a headache and, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want them to pull the plug on me just, just because of that. So, you know, we always talk about what a terminal and irreversible condition is. It, terminal and irreversible condition means a continual, profound, comatose state with no reasonable chance of recovery or a condition caused by injury, disease, or illness, which within reasonable medical judgment would produce death and for which the application of life-sustaining procedures would serve only to postpone the moment of death. So you got to be, you know, pretty bad off, very bad off, um, kind of the worst kind of bad off to, uh, to have this living will declaration apply. If it's any kind of medical condition where it's you know not terminal and irreversible, then you know the living will isn't even part of the picture. All right, one more. I, I, I misspoke. I said that that was my last definition, but it's worth mentioning because I've seen some people make some mistakes about the witness component. So let me define what a witness is under our Louisiana living will. It means a competent adult who is not related to the declarant or qualified patient, whichever is applicable by blood or marriage, and who would not be entitled to any portion of the estate of the person from whom life-sustaining procedures are to be withheld or withdrawn upon his decease. So they don't want people who are motivated financially or rewarded financially from the death of the person to be a witness to their living will. So they want it just to be, you know, none of those people. Okay, so there's your kind of standard living will provisions. There's provisions for the uh, nutrition and hydration. There's definitions. Um, hopefully by now you're starting to see kind of the seriousness of the living will and when it applies. And um, there's not a whole lot of ambiguity and discretion here. Although, you know, terminal and irreversible condition could be a, a subjective matter. So I suppose that's why they have two physicians who, you know, uh, who must examine you and agree that that's the case. Okay, so let's go over if someone doesn't have a living will, who would have the authority you know, to make those decisions. 
All right, so there's a pecking order, as there is in many of these things, that says who can make those decisions to withdraw life support in the absence of a living will. And quite frankly, some people that we work with, they don't want to have a living will. They want their family to be the ones making the decision. They, they trust that their family can take the emotion out of it. They trust that, you know, they've had some communications and the family knows what the person wants and the person is most confident in the family being able to make the decision. So when that's the case, often um, someone doesn't sign a living will because the underlying purpose of a living will is to keep the family from having to make you know, that decision. Okay, so in absence of a living will, who can make those decisions? So it starts with um, the court or judicially appointed uh, tutor or curator of the patient if one has been appointed. In most cases, it ha one hasn't been appointed. But if somebody had been declared legally incompetent by a judge and a judge appointed a, a curator or guardian for that person, that's who can make it in absence of a living will. That doesn't come up a whole lot. The next person in the pecking order is you can designate by written instrument, presence of two witnesses, you can designate who has the authority to make your decisions. So we see that sometimes um, where, where people still want the family involved, but they want to make their wishes known. So they might sign something that says, I don't want to be kept on life support. Um, if I'm in that state, no chance of recovery. Maybe they make uh, this, uh, decisions known about nutrition and hydration, but they go on in their living will to say, however, I want this person to have the ultimate authority to make that decision. And maybe they'll say, if this person can't do it, I want this person or this person. So you have the right to, to designate um, in a written document who can make that declaration for you. So if you haven't done that, then who can make those decisions? Well, it goes to your sp spouse, um, at least if you're not judicially separated. Then if there's no spouse, it goes to the adult child. And then if there's no adult child, it goes to the parents. And then if there's no parents, it goes to the sibling and it you know, goes on from there. So because sometimes you know, people have more than one adult child, if it gets to that point, then our living will law says that the declaration shall be made by a majority of that class available for consultation upon good faith efforts to secure participation of all of that class. There you go. So dad's in the, in the hospital. He's not doing well. He's on life support. Um, mom's not a mom predeceased dad. Uh, dad had not signed a living will. I've, there's no court appointed guardian. He had made no written statement. And so now it's going to the children and there's five children. And so our statute says you got to make a good faith effort to try to get in touch with all of them. And whoever's available, the, a majority of those can make the decision. So, uh, so there you have it. I'm not even sure that all of the hospitals and medical providers are, are really aware of, of our living will statutes and how all that would work. Maybe they are. Um, 
they sh- they should be and and um, you know if there's any hospital administrators out there listening I'd I'd love to get some feedback from you on what your procedures are under these circumstances so that you know we can communicate that to families in Louisiana and make sure they're consistent with our living will law. Okay, so um, there you have it. Um, should should you know? Bottom line: Should everybody have a living will? I, I would say the answer is clearly no. Um, should everybody go through the dialogue and the exercise to talk about how they feel about what they'd want under those you know terminal and irreversible conditions? Communicate that with their family. Make an educated decision regarding whether they should have a living will because they'd want to make that declaration known to keep their family from having to make that decision or are they comfortable with their family having that you know decision to withdraw life support machines so there there's no right or wrong here it just needs to be educated and, and you know ed, you just need to be educated and then uh, make the appropriate decisions that that you feel strongly about so that's it for living wills there's there's more to it and uh but this was probably more than you wanted or needed to know. Um, and, and it's just part of every estate planning conversation that we have. So now you're armed with a little more information. Go make sure you take care of your business. Um, y'all have a great, you know, uh, a great day and take care. Bye now. And go Tigers.